Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you ever lost anything of value? A wedding ring, a beloved toy, your keys, maybe your glasses. If it's a value, you don't just shrug your shoulders and let it go. You start looking for that which was lost. Maybe the wedding ring fell in the drain or behind the cabinet in the bathroom or that that toy might be under the covers of your bed. The keys might be at the bottom of your bag. The glasses, if not in the pulpit, are usually sitting on top of your head, right? If something is lost, you look for it. You search. You hunt for what is lost until you find it. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, there are those sad instances where what you lose is truly lost. I'll tell you one story. We drove to Seattle a number of years back for my sister-in-law's wedding. Our family stopped at a restaurant in this beautiful little inlet to the sea. And, And after dinner, we walked out on the pier to look into the waters in hopes of finding some fish swimming around the, the submerged supports. Well, while laying down on the pier, my eldest daughter leaned over to gaze into the sea when the glasses slipped off of her face and splashed into the water, never to be seen again. There just was no searching for those glasses. They were utterly lost. They were lost, and for a moment, I think, a wave of fear and anxiety washed over my daughter as she awaited what her parents might say about that. There are other times, however, when those things that are lost are found, and when they are found, well, there's rejoicing over that fact. One time I lost a very special gift from my wife. Jen had given me a diver's watch for our, our wedding, and of course I, I wear it every day. At the time I was working as a rock climbing instructor for the YMCA, so I'd take off my watch, I'd put it in a safe place, and I'd put it back on after my shift. Well, one particular evening I looked for my watch, and it was nowhere to be found. So I tore apart the climbing gym. I went into my office, I looked there, I went to the front desk and asked if it was turned in there. Nothing. So I thought, well, maybe I didn't wear it that day. I went home, I searched all the places where I would have left it, on the dresser, possibly under the bed, on the drawers or in the drawers, on the cabinet in the bathroom. I had no choice at that point but to confess to my dear wife that I had lost this precious gift. And the look of restrained understanding on her face was priceless. But I felt awful because I lost this wedding gift. She felt awful because I lost an expensive and thoughtful gift, and we just went to bed together feeling awful. A day or so later at work, I happened to stop in at the front desk because I kept looking for my watch, and I happened to ask, did anyone by chance turn in this silver watch, and lo and behold, someone did, and they had, and I was reunited with what was lost, and a flood of relief and joy washed over me. The joy of knowing that what was lost was found. 
course, I called up my wife and said, hey, guess what I found? And we had shared in the joy together. That's just my story. I'm sure you've got stories like that too, don't you? Similar stories, things being lost and then found, stories that you can relate to. See, ultimately, that's what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 15. He's telling relatable stories. Stories about things that were lost and people who searched for them. He tells of of stories of lost things that are then found. And then the rejoicing that follows. Now, of course, there's stories with a purpose, right? They tell another story, a spiritual story of deeper significance. I think someone once put it this way, that the parables of Jesus are earthly stories that reveal a heavenly reality. Jesus is actually telling three stories of things that are lost and found in Luke chapter 15. And we read just two of those today, but I'm going to include the third. The first, there's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One goes missing, so the shepherd goes after it. Once the sheep is found, well, then there's great rejoicing. Next, it's a woman with ten silver coins. One goes missing, and she searches for it. Once that coin is found, well, there is great rejoicing. And the third story that we didn't read today is the story about a father who has two sons. One goes missing, so to speak. He is lost, but then he is found. And there is great rejoicing. It's the parable of the prodigal son. One hundred, ten, two. Sheep, coins, son. Decreasing numbers, but increasing value in that which was lost. One sheep to a man who owns a hundred is not as valuable as one day's wage to a woman who had only ten days' wage. One son to a man who only has two is of greater value than all. When something of value is lost, you look for it. Well, these three parables are earthly stories revealing a heavenly reality. And Jesus doesn't leave us guessing what that heavenly reality is. He tells us plainly. Jesus said, for the one found sheep, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not think that they need to repent. The one coin, Jesus says, just so I tell you. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And as for the one found son, well, we'll come back to that in a moment. See, Jesus is telling stories about things, uh, lost things that are found, and when they are found, when they are found, there is great rejoicing. And he is using these stories to illustrate something about the very nature, the very essence of who God is. And it's this, that God in Christ Jesus is coming to search for the lost sinner. And once he finds them, there is rejoicing. God in Christ values lost sinners enough to seek them out. 
so we should be asking ourselves today, well, who is it that Jesus is telling these stories to in the first place, and why is he telling them? What's the purpose? What's his goal in communicating these, these earthly stories with heavenly realities? Well, the first two chapters of Luke 15 give us the context. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes over here, they were righteous. They prided themselves in keeping the law of Moses. They even tried to go above and beyond the letter of the law. They didn't want to associate with anyone who is not as ritualistically righteous or pious as they were. Now, it's probably not that they didn't think that they were without sin, but rather that they were not these open and overt sinners. They weren't as bad as the sinners over here. And those people over here, the sinners class of people that included tax collectors who were Jewish turncoats working for Rome, prostitutes who ran roughshod over the sixth commandment, and anyone else who didn't live as outwardly pure as the Pharisees and the scribes did. The Pharisees and the scribes would most certainly not eat with sinners, for eating with someone meant that you accepted them. For a Pharisee or a scribe to eat with a sinner was, was out of the question, for it would give the appearance that they condoned or they approved of whatever immoral behavior that sinner was guilty of. And so the Pharisees and the scribes over here grumbled at Jesus. Maybe we would say trash-talked Jesus for having sinners in his presence. There is something different about Jesus. Unlike the Pharisees and the scribes over here who are concerned about the outward appearance, Jesus actually does keep the law of Moses, not just in letter but in spirit. Jesus is actually righteous, the very definition of righteous. For Jesus is truly man as man is intended to be. His love for his Father is lived out in perfect love and service for others. And the thing about Jesus is that he is not afraid to welcome sinners and have a meal with them. But make no mistake about it, Jesus doesn't condone or approve of sin, far from it. Jesus instead deals graciously with sinners. He goes so far as to take their sin upon himself. And the sinners who who dine with Jesus ultimately are changed. For when Jesus receives sinners and eats with them, they don't leave as the same sinner they were, but they leave as ones changed by God. Sinners come as they are, They sure don't leave as they came. In fact, it's not just that Jesus welcomes or receives sinners, which is scandalous enough. 
The point of the parable is that he actually seeks them out. He diligently searches for them. He actively hunts them down. Why? Because what he has created is valuable and precious to him. Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost, not sheep, not coins, but people lost in sin. And not just people, but you. Jesus is telling these stories to two different groups of people. Those who are lost and who know it, and those who are lost but who deny it. When the lost are found, there is great rejoicing on earth and heaven, and the, the sinners and the tax collectors, they get it. They knew that these stories were about them. They met Jesus, they repented, they were found, and there was rejoicing. The Pharisees and the scribes, they knew that these stories were about them too, particularly the story of the prodigal son. For in that story, they hear that they are the older brother who grumbled that the younger brother was cleansed and clothed and celebrated just as they grumbled that Jesus was receiving sinners and eating with them. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, those who know that they are lost and those who deny that they are lost. I trust your brothers and sisters in Christ that, that you know that these stories are about you as well. For you are the sheep who has gone astray. You are the coin that was lost. You are the lost son or the lost daughter. You were lost, and there was nothing that you could do to aid in your own rescue or redemption. There was nothing that you could contribute to you being found, except for your sin. But in love for you, Jesus, the good shepherd, sought you out. He paid the wage of sin and death on the cross for you. Jesus ran after you. He clothed you with his righteousness. He put the signet ring upon you, identifying you as his very own in the waters of holy baptism. Jesus receives you at his table, and he feeds you with his body and blood so that when you leave from this table... You're changed. Jesus does this because this is who God is. This is what he does. He finds the lost. He forgives the sinner. He gives life to the dead. And that's you. That's you, and it's not just you. For Jesus came not just for you who know your sin and repent of it, but for those who deny that they are still lost in sin. And here's the thing. Jesus has not written them off. Unlike my daughter's glasses that are likely covered in barnacles at the bottom of the sea, having no hope of ever being reunited to her, there is no one person outside of the hope of being found by Jesus. You will never meet a person on this earth whom our Lord Jesus Christ is not actively searching for. 
the atheist, the agnostic, the rebellious, the idolater, the adulterer, the thief, the liar, the Democrat, the Republican, or to borrow from St. Paul's list in 1 Timothy, the lawless, the disobedient, the ungodly, the sinners, the unholy, the profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers, the murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers. Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost, all of us. Now you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, confess that you have been found by our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you are found by our Lord Jesus Christ, you are salt in this world, as we heard last week, but you are also light in this world. Jesus himself says so. And I love that image of of, of the woman who is searching for that coin that she lost. What does she do? She lights a lamp, right? So there's light in the house so she can see. Well, if Jesus is supposed to stand for the woman who is searching for the lost coin, then it's not too much of a stretch to say that you and I might be the light, the lamp, and that Jesus is at work in and through us, through you, to also seek and save the lost. Well, how might that look for us? Well, I think in two simple and profound ways. One is that we are called as God's people to pray, to pray for others, to pray for those who are lost and who deny it, to pray that the Lord would open their hearts to see the truth concerning their sin and to have a better assessment of where that sin is leaving them. Pray that God would create a desire for something more, a desire to be found. And pray for opportunities for honest conversations, for grace-filled conversations focused on Jesus who comes to seek and to save the lost. And the second is this, that as we pray, we would then also live and speak as light in the world in those times that we're praying for. It might look like talking like St. Paul does, meaning simply not being afraid to talk about how we ourselves were lost in sin and how Jesus came and found us. As Paul says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent of Jesus, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me uh, for me with that faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Look, everyone who's listening to this letter being read, here's a trustworthy saying that demands full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Look, every Sunday that we're here, we practice saying that. That's our confession. I am by nature, a, 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 I, I'm by nature sinful and unclean, right? So say that outside of these walls, too. And who knows, the Lord may use that as light to shine in the darkness, to find that which is lost. I was going to start my sermon this morning um, with a a line that I thought kind of reflected the attitude of the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And the line is this, 
I'm lost and I need directions, said no man ever in all of human history. Right, stereotypical joke. Instead, I want to close with this line that I think reflects who we are as sinners saved by Jesus. I was lost in sin, but in love Christ Jesus found me. Confessed every Christian ever. Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. He has found us, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and he is actively searching for others. So let's live as his light and his salt and be his people in this day and this age. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.